You're listening to the Fitness and Wellness Class, powered by NASM. NASM's new subscription service, NASM Connected, is the best value in fitness. When you sign up, you'll get access to everything you'll need to expand your career, master new disciplines, and stay up to date with your certification in one great package. Gain instant access to over 350 online fitness courses available anywhere, anytime, on any device. Earn CEUs for dozens of approved providers. Plus, unlock articles, webinars, videos, and podcasts from the biggest names in fitness. Don't wait. Sign up today and unlock the best content in fitness at the best price. Get connected at nasm.org connected or call one 800 460 6276. Hello and welcome. It is such a pleasure to be here. My name is Dr. Splickle and we are going over the anterior pubic joints where we're going to be demystifying groin injuries. I hope that you are looking forward to what's going to be a education packed session and we're going to take that deep dive starting right now. Now before we get started, I do want to give a brief introduction to myself. I am a podiatrist by trade, but I actually see a lot of patients and clients who have issues going on outside of their feet, which is why me as a podiatrist am going to be speaking about groin-related or pelvis-related imbalances and injuries per se that your clients may be experiencing. In addition to being a clinician and a movement specialist, I've been in the fitness industry for over 20 years. So I have a deep appreciation for what all of you do. And that's actually a lens that I still look at my patients with, that appreciation of movement and integrated function. And then in addition to that, I'm the founder of EBFA Global. I've written our barefoot training specialist certification. I actually contributed to the foot and ankle section in the CES manual. So that was a pleasure. I'm the founder of Naboso and the author of Barefoot Strong. Are you ready to get started? Okay. So as we go into groin injuries and uh, compensations around the front of the pelvis, which is referred to as the anterior pubic joint. Not a lot of sessions around this, but we have a lot of clients that are probably experiencing anterior groin hip issues, and we don't know what they are, or they're not being addressed, or they're not being taken seriously. So around that note, I want to share my story. So I am a former competitive gymnast. I've been a competitive cyclist and I taught spinning for 10 years. And I had an injury that happened after cycling. So I was um, cycling, I taught a spinning class, and then I went to the gym to train my abs. I was hanging on a bar doing leg raises on a bar, similar to how a gymnast or you might see it within CrossFit and, and things like that training. And I had a sudden pain within my groin. And then from there, I had swelling down my leg. I had pain standing. Uh, I, I wouldn't be able to flex my hip. I literally couldn't even run across the street because I would get severe pain in my groin and a spasm into my adductor. I go to the orthopedic surgeon, I go to my general practitioner, sports medicine doctor, and none of them are really paying attention or thinking that it is uh, an injury that it ended up being, which is athletic pubelgia, which is a sports hernia. Now, sports hernia, we will be going into that in athletic pubelgia, but it's essentially a tear of the rectus abdominis fascia. And this injury, you will find out, is really profiled being a male-dominated injury, uh, injury that is classic to hockey, soccer, where you're doing a rapid adduction movement to the hip, and that that is what's associated with this injury. So they essentially profiled me saying, oh, you are a female, uh, you're, you don't play hockey, you don't play soccer, you weren't doing that big movement, therefore you should not have this injury. Of course, I had the injury, long story short, ended up having the surgery and had to repair myself uh, from corrective exercise perspective my own way because of the lack of knowledge that was out at that period. This is about eight to 10 years ago. Um, so that's a big connection that I have to this lecture and to really changing the way that the movement industry thinks of the anterior pubic joint 
and actually looks at it from a chronic compensation perspective versus this traumatic acute movement that led to pain or stress in the structures of the anterior hip. It's just more muscular imbalances that we want to take a look at, and that is what we're going to be taking a look at. So let's think about groin pain. Maybe this is in one of your clients who um, had a baby two months ago and now they were cleared to go back to, to exercise and they are kind of upticking their training protocol. Maybe they want to start running again and then they complain about pain in the front of their hip within their groin. Or maybe it is a client who runs every weekend and then they complain about pain within their groin. Or someone who likes to do high intensity training, kind of like a CrossFit and they complain of that pain. So groin injuries or anterior hip symptoms are very common. If we look at it from an athletic perspective, this is really around 12 to 16% of injuries and it's classically associated with hockey, football, soccer. This is what I had already mentioned. You'll see men more common than women. And it's often a diagnosis of exclusion where they're thinking it's either this, 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 and if it's not X, Y, or Z, then maybe it's athletic pubelgia, right? So you kind of get to your, your long list and when you're at the bottom, then maybe the doctor's shaking their head and they don't know. We're here to look at that, I don't know, okay? So now some of the differentials, if you have a client, male, female, doesn't matter. Activity level, let's say in this case, doesn't matter. And they're complaining of tightness or pain during a movement and it's in their hip or they point to the front of their groin. These are some things that I want you thinking in the back of your mind. Now you're not diagnosing it, but for you to understand which different structures affect the anterior hip is important to understand. Okay, so it could be a hip labrum tear, big one. Now, the reason why it's often a hip labrum tear, if you think about that, is if you think, so here's my femur, and I'm coming into my groin. See if I can come back further enough that I can, you can see. But my hand is right in the center of my groin. And if you do the same thing for you, put your finger in the center of your groin, directly behind your fingers is your hip joint your femoral head sits smack in the center of your groin. So if someone has a torn hip labrum, that makes sense. If you go to an orthopedic surgeon and you have stress to your hip labrum and you say, I have pain in my groin, that's the first thing they're going to think that it's your hip labrum. Okay. Some other common uh, diagnoses around anterior pubic pain, adductors, adductor longest strain. Now of all of your adductors, the adductor longus is the most commonly strained or stressed adductor of all of them. We're going to be looking at the anatomy and the fascial line so you understand why. Why is the adductor longus under so much stress? Some other things that it might be is what's called osteitis pubis. Now osteitis pubis means inflammation on the pubic bone right? That's the itis and the, the pubis. Stress fracture, of course, you always want to make sure that you rule that out. And then perhaps it's something with the pubic symphysis. We'll see the anatomy shortly. And that joint that sits smack in the center of your pelvis has a joint and there's a little bit of movement up and down. A lot of women who are pregnant, especially towards the latter part of their pregnancy, because the pelvis is starting to expand and stretch and lengthen and ligaments are now a little bit more lax, they start to get a little bit of pubic symphysis issues or imbalance. One side moves up a little bit more than the other. Some other common ones is athletic pubelgia that I had already mentioned, and then coccyx sultans, which we will definitely be going into. Now, if we take a brief look at the anatomy, if you take a look at the slide, I want you to start to appreciate the anterior pubic joint anatomy. We can see here that there is your rectus abdominis. And if you continue down, do you see how it's blending into your adductor longus tendon? That connection between the rectus abdominis and the adductor longus is really important to understand how stress is balanced around the anterior pubic joint. They are in a constant tug of war. Your rectus abdominis is continuously trying to pull your pelvis up and your rectus or your adductor longus is trying to pull your pelvis forward. Now, when they're in that tug of war, obviously the side that is easier to win is going to be pulling forward into an anterior tilt. And that has to do with where our center of gravity is. 
our body's center of gravity is L5S1, so in between your ASIS, and it's actually in front of your body. It's outside of your body. So find L5S1 or in between your, your ASIS and then go a little bit forward in front of your body. That's where your center of gravity sits. So if your center of gravity is in front of your body and you have gravity coming down, the pool or the natural kind of path of least resistance is going to be for you to rock forward into an anterior tilt. And that gives an advantage to the adductor longus muscle. Now, if we look at the slide again, I want you to appreciate how your transverse abdominals and your internal obliques blend into each other. They blend into each other to form something that is called a conjoint tendon, one tendon, one unit is how you can think of it. And then that conjoint tendon blends into your external obliques, and then that structure blends into your rectus abdominis fascia, and that's what's connecting to your pubic bone. So all of these deep abdominal fascial structures blend into each other and connect onto the pubic bone. That gives a site of potential stress where if you had a fascial tear or adhesion or you throw off the timing of those muscles, you can hopefully start to appreciate where imbalances start to occur. So if we look at some important structures, that conjoint tendon that I already referenced is one that you definitely want to think about. Conjoint tendon, transverse abdominals, and internal obliques. And then is a blending into your pubic aponeurosis, which blends into your rectus abdominis fascia. If we look at the pubic aponeurosis just a little bit closer, we can see that this is, again, blending the conjoint tendon with the external obliques and then how it fascially blends into that pubic bone. These are structures that when we go into athletic pubelgia, this is really where that site of injury is happening. So that's the anterior pubic joint. Those are the groin structures, the main ones that you're thinking about. Let's do it one more time. TVA, internal obliques. I would actually add pelvic floor in there as well because it is blended into your transverse abdominals. Your anterior pelvic floor myofascially blends into your TVA. Write that structure down with this as well because that's going to be important when it comes to programming. Internal obliques, TVA, pelvic floor, conjoint tendon, blends into your external obliques, blends into your pubic aponeurosis, comes down rectus abdominis, rectus aponeurosis, adductor longus. Those are the structures that I want you to appreciate when it comes to the front of your pelvis. So what does groin pain look like? This is what I had started this presentation built around, that if you go into an orthopedic surgeon's office, they're going to think that this is what groin injuries look like right? Are you a male? Are you a hockey player? Are you a soccer player? Do you play football? But that's not what anterior pubic joint pain, athletic pubelgia actually looks like. What I see in my office is actually much more of this. To me, this is a big part of what anterior pubic joint pain looks like. Every single one of the exercises that these individuals are doing in a CrossFit setting is greatly stressing the structures on the front of their hip. And if they are not coordinating sufficient st stability or the timing of stability is not fast enough before they do a larger movement of the feet to the bars or the pushing of the pedals or the lifting of their trunk, they will stress those structures. And that is 100% setting them up for anterior pubic pain slash athletic pubelgia. But that's not every anterior pubic joint pain. That's not what they all look like. It's not just CrossFitters and elite athletes or male athletes playing hockey. Hockey. This is what I see a lot of anterior pubic pain looking like. It is a cyclist. It is the runner. This is the mom that just had a baby and is trying to get back into shape. And she used running as her way to get back into shape. It is the weekend warrior. Maybe it's the client that does triathlons. Maybe it's the avid spinner or indoor cycling client. All of these are what antipubic pain or athletic pubelgia looks like. So what I want to do through the rest of this session is go through some of these differentials so that you have a better understanding of how they present and why they present as antipubic pain. And then we'll go into some of the programming. 
So it's important to understand how they present, how you differentiate them, or just to understand the anatomy a little bit more. But because we're trainers and coaches, we then need to understand the so what, right? Or what do I do? What's my role in this uh, diagnosis or in this condition or that client? So the first one that I'm going to go over and is probably the one that's going to be the most common with your clients. This is going to be a hip labrum tear or it could be stress to the hip labrum. Now, of course, this is not something that you're diagnosing, but let's say if your client comes to you or it's a new client and you say, oh, do you have any uh, injuries? Do you, have you ever had any surgeries, any issues I need to know about? And they say, I have a torn right hip labrum. You need to understand what that means, okay? So now someone who has a torn hip labrum, they often present with catching in the hip. Maybe they have pain, of course, into the groin. So what we're talking about is groin pain. So the groin pain or the pain from the hip can radiate inward. They may get a catching or a snapping in the hip. They might feel pain or tightness as they're going upstairs and downstairs. And oftentimes you can have other diagnoses as well that someone could have a torn hip labrum and adductor spasm. So it kind of goes hand in hand with some of these other injuries as well. Now the hip labrum, if we look at the image here, I want you to appreciate that we're looking at the side, we see the femur and then you have the femoral head and then the femoral head on top of it, you see this cartilaginous base, right? That's the head cartilaginous base. And then it articulates with the pelvis in what's called the acetabulum. That's the cartilaginous center of the hip joint. You want to have cartilage over cartilage, and then that is a nice balanced hip joint. Surrounding the hip joint, do you see on the image that cartilaginous ring that's surrounding the hip joint? That cartilaginous ring is the labrum, and the labrum, what it does is it deepens the socket which provides stability. So my socket is a little bit deeper, so it feels a little bit more stable. And then that stability helps to maintain what's called centration. So if you're taking notes, what I would like you to write down in big words or big letters is centration. Hip centration means that the joint surfaces are centered over each other, which balances joint stress. Okay. Now, when you have cartilage over cartilage, you get this nice, beautiful range of motion. Hip, every hip movement that you want, you get that beautiful range of motion. What happens is if you start to lose centration, let's say my femoral head starts to move. Maybe it goes forward, maybe it goes up, maybe it goes back, right? A direction that the femoral head moves. Now I'm no longer centered on my cartilage, I lost centration. So now one, if I shift off of cartilage over cartilage and I'm kind of off of the joint, this stresses cartilage and can contribute to degenerative joint disease or osteoarthritis. Number one contributor to wearing down a joint, degenerative joint disease is losing centration and you've deviated off of your cartilaginous surfaces, okay? Second thing that happens is that when you lose centration, you lose range of motion, yeah? You lose centration, you start to stress some of these other structures that are around the joint, the labrum, the capsule, ligaments, and tendons. So in your hip joint, what happens with the labrum is that your femur, I'm going to my right hip now, your femur starts to shift. And when it shifts, it shifts forward, maybe forward up. And then it stresses that cartilaginous ring. It's like it's pulling, pulling and pushing into that structure so much that eventually it tears. Okay. Now, if you look at the side, you can see that there's two main muscle imbalances that contribute to a loss of hip joint centration. First one, your TFL, tensor fascia lata, when your TFL is dominant, dominant to your psoas, TFL over psoas, TFL is dominating, what happens is it pulls your femoral head forward. Now you lost centration, you stress hip labrum, maybe you get hip labrum tear, okay? Second muscle imbalance, when your hamstrings dominate your glutes, which is called a synergistic dominance, when your hamstrings 
synergistically dominate your glutes, what happens is your hamstrings push your femoral head forward. So whether it is the TFL pulling the hip forward or it's the hamstrings pushing the hip forward, you have lost hip joint centration and you have stressed the hip labrum and now you have a hip labrum tear. So if we look at how we keep hip stability, this is important. This is starting to get to the corrective exercise, okay? So we are trying to maintain a stable, deep hip joint so it doesn't move and it maintains centration. You need to know which muscles do that. If you look at the slide, the muscles that do that are going to be your deep rotators. Your deep rotators, the deep five is what we can call them, the gemelli, the obturator internus, externus, quadratus femoris, there's five of them. What they do is they work together, just like the rotator cuff of your shoulder, they work together and they actually pull your femoral head in. They draw it in, they center the femoral head, just like your shoulder. The purpose of your rotator cuff in your shoulder is to draw the humerus in to keep it centered. That's why, bonus here, if you do farmer's carries or you hang on a bar, those are some of the best rotator cuff exercises because they create and train the rotator cuff to centrate your shoulder joint, okay? Hip, your deep rotators draw in and maintain centration so that you don't deviate out and stress the labrum. Now, what's interesting is that these deep five rotators are myofascially connected to your pelvic floor. Remember what I said less than five minutes ago, maybe, is that your pelvic floor blends into your TVA, which blends into your internal obliques, which blends into your external, which blends into your pubic aponeurosis. So everything of how you stabilize the front of your pelvis links into your pelvic floor. Deep hip blends into pelvic floor. We can see how interconnected these structures are. And you want to take in that interconnected uh, uh, spider web of fascial structures into how you create programming. Okay, so now what we're starting to explore here with the internal obliques, um, the TVA, the pelvic floor, what we're starting to explore is that there's different types of muscles that are happening in your pelvis. There's two main types of muscles that you can find within your center, your deep core. We classify them. You have your local stabilizers and you have your global stabilizers. And then technically you have global mobilizers. So this is how we, we name them, we put them in organization. And the reason that we put them in these different columns and organize them is they have slightly different functions. And the timing at which they contract is slightly different. The timing of your local muscles, if you look at the slide, your TVA, your pelvic floor, your diaphragm, your psoas, right? These muscles are supposed to contract and engage at a different timing than your glutes or your obliques. And then even more so, there's a different timing to your rectus abdominis, your rectus femoris, your hamstring, your glute max, right? So all muscles are designed to coordinate and interrelate to each other. This intermuscular relationship in your center or your pelvis is built around local versus global, where the local stabilizers contract first. Okay, so the column of the local stabilizers, we want those to be engaging and stabilizing before the next column, global stabilizers, engage. Now, unfortunately, in a lot of clients, you're going to see that column two, global stabilizers, engages before the first column, local stabilizers. And then what happens is you've lost coordination and you can start to get inhibition of muscles. And that's not what we want because then that's how we start to get injury. So if we take a look at this, those are the local muscles. Let's look closer at that hip joint and what's happening, okay? When you lose hip centration, I already said it, but here's your quiz. Are you ready? When you lose hip centration, what direction does your femoral head shift? I said it, let's see if you're paying attention. I hope that you are screaming that it is anterior forward, superior up. So it goes forward and up. So if you look at the slide, you actually see the picture of where it's torn on the image. 
that is where 95% of hip labrum tears are occurring. The reason that is occurring is not because of a sudden movement uh, where you were doing, you know, a, a sudden lateral movement, playing soccer or hockey. That is accumulation of chronic muscle imbalances and chronic stress to the hip labrum and the hip structures itself. And that is because the muscles that stabilize and keep the head centered are not engaging fast enough. So either the TFL is engaging and pulling the head forward, or either the hamstring is engaging and it's pushing that femoral head forward. And then that is greatly contributing to this loss of hip joint centration. Now, there is a, another movement that often contributes to a loss of hip joint centration. This is a movement of your hip in extreme motion. Flexion, extension, AB, AD, internal, external. Of those, which do you think stresses the hip labrum the most? If you looked at the slide, you cheated, but it is actually extreme external rotation. When you think of like a ballet dancer, think how externally rotated a ballet dancer is. When you rotate, you rotate, we all have what's called a physiological external rotation of our hip. But if you're like, no, no, I'm doing ballet, you will hit that physiological end range. And then to get the extra range of motion, you pop your head forward. Okay, so that popping the hip forward in your hip joint starts to stress the hip labrum and you will start to tear it. But it's not just in ballet dancers. How many of your clients have such tight hips or such tight ankles that they have no choice but to squat with their feet turned out and their hips externally rotated? How many of your clients actually walk like a duck and have their hips externally rotated, right? So we actually see external rotation a lot in our clients. And I want you to appreciate what is that doing to their deep hip structures? And is that starting to contribute to a loss of hip joint centration? Let's say you have a client that says, I've lost hip joint centration. Well, they actually won't say that. They'll say that I have a torn hip labrum. You're the detective. You are the one to know if they have lost hip joint centration. What are you going to do? This is going to be our corrective exercise protocol here. We are going to inhibit, mobilize, activate, and integrate. Okay. I have imagery to show you through this. And then when we get all the way to the end, I'll be able to cue you through the pelvic floor activation. A lot of the corrective exercise programming for anterior pubic joint imbalances, whether it's any of those differentials that I listed, is going to be very similar programming. So pay attention now to this protocol. And then I want you to remember that protocol as we go through the other differentials. So here we go. Inhibit, mobilize, activate, integrate. Inhibit, what are you inhibiting? The global muscle. You have to get the global muscle that is getting in the way, activating too early, and is either pulling the femoral head forward, pushing the femoral head forward, or contributing to a loss of hip joint centration. You can see in the image here that I'm using a lacrosse ball to inhibit the TFL and the front of the hip. You can use any tool that you like. And what you want to do is you want to think about spending between three and five minutes on each of these sections, three to five minutes. So step one, inhibit global, three to five minutes. If you're taking notes, which again, I hope you are, you are going to inhibit, in a majority of, majority of your clients, you're going to inhibit TFL, adductor longus, piriformis, and you can even get up into the QL if you would like. Those are my big ones that I hit. So again, TFL, adductor longus, piriformis, quadratus lumborum. Those four are my go-to muscles to inhibit in that three to five time block from inhibiting the global, uh, global stabilizers. Now, next, we are going to mobilize. This step is going to be recentering your hip joint. So let's take a look at the image to see how I am doing this. I have a monster band that is around my hip and it is pulling my hip joint in a 45 degree angle. So I'm pulling in a 45 degree angle. If you see in the image, it is fixed on something. So it is 
on a pulley machine. It's hooked in the door. You, the trainer, are holding it, but you are pulling the femur posterior and you're actually pulling posterior out or lateral to then recenter that hip joint. Now, the sensation that you will feel when you do this hip centration, the mobilization is recenter the hip joint. You can see on the slide the words, right? What you will see is that there's a decompression of the joint. It's not a sublux joint or a dislocated joint, and then your pulling is going to go, right? But it's not, it's not the way that it works. What you're doing is you're creating space. That's what it is. The mobilization step is creating space in the joint. Okay, and we're doing that through a posterior lateral band mobilization. Okay, you're doing that three to five minutes. You're hanging out passive. The band is doing the work. Step three, activate. What are we activating? The local stabilizers. So the local stabilizers, we know what those are. Pelvic floor, diaphragm, deep five. Once you get those local stabilizers going on the floor, eyes are shut, connect, get the pelvic floor and the diaphragm, engaging and activating, great. Last step that you must do is you need to, underline, need to integrate this with the ground and with gravity. This is probably one of the most important steps the reason why it is so important is that we are obviously upright beings. We walk in gravity and we walk on the ground. That if you are doing your corrective exercise protocol and you do the floor work, you do the inhibitions and activations and the glutes are working when you do uh, on the back glute bridges and then they stand up and you're like, have a good day, right? That was good, good session, right? You didn't lock it in. As soon as they leave the gym or the studio and they start walking in gravity again, you didn't lock it in, they're going to start to essentially unravel and go back to their old compensation patterns. So this is one of the most important steps. And the way that we do this is going to be through short foot, breath work, pelvic floor. I'm introducing it here, and then I will go through detailed at the end of the session. I just wanna make sure we cover all of the differentials, and then we're gonna cover specifically how I want you to engage that pelvic floor and the diaphragm with your toes, okay? But even if you didn't know that, as soon as you stand someone up and you just do a diaphragmatic breathing standing up, and as they exhale, you say, push your toes into the ground, boom, there you just did it, okay? Could we bring it into a couple of exercises? Maybe a squat, toes down, exhale, bring it up. Perfect. You just locked it in with grounds and gravity. Let's go into our second differential. This one, much more of a symptom. So osteitis pubis is going to be pain on the pubic bone. If you were to look at, let's say, an MRI, it would essentially just read that you have inflammation in the fascia or the tissue that surrounds the pubic bone. But guess what? All the structures that we just spoke about, the pubic aponeurosis and the conjoint tendon and the rectus aponeurosis coming down into your adductor longus tendon, they insert onto your pubic bone. So osteitis pubis, which is pain, you can see on the image, do you see the pubic joint and the pubic symphysis? Right there, right at that joint. If you push there, push there on yourself, hopefully you don't have pain there, but that's exactly where osteitis pubis is and that's where all of those structures cross, okay? So this is more of a symptom. So if someone says, I have pain in my groin, I mean, technically you could say where, and if they say right there, when I push right on the bone of my pubic joint, you could be saying, okay, I know your adductors insert into that. Okay, I know your rectus abdominis inserts into that. I know your deep obliques insert onto that, right? Just build balance and harmony around those structures. And that can start to address why they're getting stress at that insertion point causing pain. Yeah, again, remember, don't diagnose. All right, here we go. Another symptom, not a diagnosis, a symptom. This is called coxisultans. This is one of my, I don't know, to say one of my favorite symptoms would be kind of weird, but we'll just say it, okay? So one of my, one of my favorite, I don't know if it's the name or who knows what, but coxisultans is really snapping hip syndrome. This is where if you bring your hip, I'm gonna use my arm, but imagine this is my hip. 
I'm bringing my hip from flexion to extension, right? That's all I'm doing. I'm laying on my back and I'm gonna go like this, right, with my leg. As I go here, if you hear, not hear, feel a snap or a pop in your hip, or your clients do, that is coxus sultans. And what that is, is that is your psoas tendon rolling over a tubercle on your femur, okay? So the femur, when you lose centration, here's my femur sitting in its nice organized way, but I lost centration, right? So now my femoral head shifted forward, maybe it, it shifted up, right? Now I've just shifted some of the alignment or orientation of my femur. Here's the neck of it and the differential canter, right? I shifted the orientation of it. So the psoas coming down, now it can actually rub across and kind of snap over the ridges in the femur. And that would be evident of bringing from flexion to extension. Right? That is coxus sultans. Bottom line of that, if you have a client with coxus sultans, is you know that they have an unstable deep pelvis. Hands down. They've just lost deep pelvis stability. They might not have any symptoms. Your job as the trainer and coach is just to say, okay, I'm not diagnosing you with coxus sultans, but what I am going to do is I'm going to work on pelvic floor exercises, getting your local stabilizers to engage faster. We're going to prime with the exercises that I just showed in the previous slides. We're going to make sure that your glutes are not dominant, that your TFL is not dominant. We're just going to create nice balance around your pelvis so that you don't set yourself up to eventually tear your hip labrum. So I would use coxus sultans as like a screening tool of like, okay, maybe they might get a torn hip labrum if they're not careful or if they continue to stress their hip joint in the way that they are. That's the way that I would use it, okay? Now, what I do want to emphasize when it comes to your psoas is that your psoas also blends into your pelvic floor. Oh my goodness, your pelvic floor is so intertwined with everything. So you have pelvic floor, which blends into your TVA, TVA blends into your internal bleeds, which blends into your pubic aponeurosis, but you have your psoas, which comes off of your diaphragm, blending into your pelvic floor as well. So there's such a deep interconnected relationship between them. Your psoas is a local stabilizer. It's a local stabilizer. I know a lot of people think of it as, as a hip flexor, right? It's a mobilizer moving your hip. Much more of a stabilizing muscle. And it stabilizes in coordination with all these other local muscles. Remember, the loss of hip joint centration is often associated with a TFL that is dominating a psoas. The TFL, which is a global muscle, is inhibiting the psoas and pulling that femoral head forward. That's really what you see more so in your clients than dominant psoases and psoases that are so tight and we need to release and we need to stretch the psoas and all of that stuff is actually not what's happening. Okay, so if you were looking at psoas syndrome, let's say someone had like an actual psoas tendonitis, you can see from the image here that they're moving them into hip flex position and then they are externally rotating and then they're actually abducted a little bit. And then that's where you want to stress. And you can just see that the doctor has his hand on the knee and he's putting pressure in the knee and then the individual is going to resist. In clients who have a psoas tendonitis, that would actually be a triggering response, okay? Again, it's just so that you understand and can appreciate the way that a lot of these uh, symptoms present themselves, okay? Great, okay, we're continuing on. We now have our last diagnosis that we're going to look at, and then we're going to explore some of this programming a little bit more to make sure that you get some key takeaways. So we have athletic pubalgia. This is what my injury was. This is the one that I'm, I'm hugely advocating an awareness and an understanding in really the medical industry, the movement industry, physical therapy, fitness, etc. that people understand this injury and see it as more of a chronic injury than an acute injury. It's not necessarily just the hockey player who did a sudden shot, right? It is this chronic accumulation of delayed stabilization of the pelvis, specifically through the local stabilizers, okay? And it's gonna present 
literally like a torn hip labrum. It's going to be pain in the front of the hip. You will have most likely osteitis pubis. You may have an adductor spasm. And all of those are going to present very similar. That's what I had. My adductors were in spasm. I had pain on my pubic bone. I had swelling down the vein. It's called the great saphenous vein that goes down the leg. And that's because I had so much swelling in my groin. I, of course, have a torn hip labrum that was in conjunction. I had coxasultans, which probably presented for years before I tore my hip labrum and years before I had athletic pubelgia. So that's why I emphasize it being a screening tool. But that athletic pubelgia is going to be important for us to understand. So if you take a quick look at the slide, you can see this is really how it's diagnosed. Remember, we're not diagnosing, but to just know how it's diagnosed. Okay, so they have pain at the pubic tubercle. Okay, that's great. We already said that, right? Palpation around what's called the inguinal ring. This is around the groin structures. They may have inflammation that radiates into that structure. They'll have an adductor spasm, and then they may have pain with flexion or if the feet are flexed, and then you bring the trunk up. So those are really the two main ways that it would present itself is let's say I'm doing old school sit-ups where my someone's sitting on my feet, like literally doing old school sit-ups. Someone's sitting on my feet and I'm going all the way on my back and I'm doing sit-ups, right? Every time I pull myself back up, I'm going to have a sharp pain in my groin, specifically around that pubic uh, tubercle where osteitis pubis is and where that rectus abdominis fascia comes down. Or the opposite, that my trunk could be fixed right? Let's say I'm uh, laying on my back and I'm holding on to something over my head and then I'm bringing my legs up like this, right? Or I'm holding on someone's ankles. I'm sure you've all have seen this, right? Holding on someone's ankles and I'm lying back and I'm bringing my toes up and then they push my feet down and I bring my legs up and they push my feet down. That exercise, every time I do that, ah, sharp pain into my groin, okay? Two, two triggers. Either, either end is fixed, okay? What's happening? Why is this happening? What is athletic pubel just so specifically around the rectus abdominis and the adductor longus? Let's look at the anatomy and the fascial lines that connect them. If you look at the left, you can see what's called the fun functional front line. And can you see that on the right side, my right rectus abdominis is blending into my right adductor longus? Same side. Left, same side. Okay. That is different than how a lot of people think about our adductors. They will think my left adductors cross the body and blend into my right obliques, and then same thing on the other side. Yes, that's true, but athletic pubelgia adductor spasms are actually much more functional front line, which is similar to here how you have this tug of war. I mentioned this earlier, this tug of war around your anterior pelvis. Does the pelvis want to go forward to an anterior tilt? Does the pelvis want to go posterior to a posterior tilt? Which way does gravity and your center of gravity want to take you? Which is the path of least resistance? It's forward, which means which muscle gets that dominance? adductor longus. This tug of war is one by adductor longus, which is why when I tore my rectus abdominis fascia, I didn't tear the adductor longus. The adductor longus didn't rupture off of the bone. The rectus abdominis ruptured off of the bone, right? Just has to do with who's, who's winning this tug of war, okay? And that tug of war, again, is going to be one by the adductor longus. So if we look at this image here, I just want you to appreciate, this is just looking at the fascial connection of these structures. Look how, again, beautiful. It's, you know, I love anatomy, so it's, to me it's beautiful. But look at all this beautiful blending of these structures and how they're so interrelated, they're so intertwined that if you tore one, how is it that you're not tearing the others? Do you see that? How they're just so interrelated? And you can also appreciate that this is very fascially rich. And what happens is that when you tear fascia, you get this, this loss of continuity of your connective tissue, which is what I speak a lot about with patients. But if you lose uh, connectivity or continuation of your connective tissue, right? Or your fascial tissue, you start to get a break 
in the proprioceptive sensory trigger of that structure. I really hope this is making sense, okay? You, you start to get a delay. It's kind of like a little monkey wrench, okay? And this is why you can't just immobilize. So if someone has, um, actually has athletic pubelgia and they tore the rectus abdominis, you can't just like, okay, just take it easy and then the inflammation will go down and then you'll be fine, right? Yes, but then when the inflammation goes down and I start to push myself again and function, what's going to happen? Because I have a tear in my connective tissue, I'm not stabilizing as quickly. It's the little monkey wrench. So then as soon as I start to stress my body, I'm not stabilizing fast enough. Now I start to stress my body and my pain comes back. Right? So this is a little cycle that we get into. So we really want to appreciate how we address these clients. Okay. So now what's happening? What's happening with these clients? What, what is this trend between hip labrum tears and athletic pubelgia or coxis sultans and osteitis pubis, adductor spasms, right? What is happening here? It all goes down to your understanding of local stabilizers and global stabilizers and their relationship, their ability to coordinate with each other. What is happening here is they have lost the order and the coordination of their stabilization. They are globally dominant. They are not stabilizing their anterior pubic joint efficiently or fast enough, which is creating increased stress around that joint and all the structures. The way that we actually resist stress around the front of our pelvis is your local stabilizers, your pelvic floor. I, Put pelvic floor on that slide too. Pelvic floor, internal bleeds, transverse abdominals, local stabilizers, diaphragm. That is the way that we need to build stability around this joint. And to understand this even further, let's just take a little look at the research. What's the research say with this? Here we go. Delayed TVA activation, so delayed transverse abdominals in those with long-standing groin pain. Research studies showing that, okay? Here, decreased resting thickness of your transverse abdominals in athletes with long-standing groin pain. Makes sense. Groin pain, delay TVA. Groin pain, you start to get atrophy of your TVA, right? Your transverse abdominals has been shown to co-contract with your diaphragm because they're both local muscles. This is why a lot of the program that, programming that I go into is built around local stabilization, pelvic floor, diaphragm, get that as your foundation, get them firing those muscles appropriately, and then build everything else from there. Okay. Are you ready to go in specifically some of this correctives? So let's take a look at our pelvic floor. I'm going to take you right now through those pelvic floor, TVA, diaphragm. Okay, and then once we do that, I'm going to show you how to lock it in with ground and gravity, and then we'll do a recap. So we are to our corrective exercise section of it. Please remember that this is where you're going to apply the activation section of what I went over when we discussed the labrum. Okay, so just slide this into that part. All right, so when we look at our pelvic floor and pelvic floor activation, one, you can do this on your back, such as in the image. You could do this seated or you could do it standing. I'm going to stand for the sake of this, but I want you to choose any position that you feel comfortable, okay? What I'm going to do is I'm going to show you two ways that you can activate your pelvic floor. After we activate the pelvic floor, we're going to all stand up. So if you're not standing up after this, we'll all stand up and we will connect our feet with our pelvic floor or lock it in with ground and gravity, okay? Now, our first way, we're gonna do this standing. So everyone's gonna stand, everyone stand. No seated for this one, everyone stands, okay? And then the second one, you can go down onto the floor if you would like. Now, first way to activate your pelvic floor, we're going to do this by isolating out the front and the back of your pelvic floor. Now, the, your pelvic floor can be divided into an anterior and a posterior. Obviously, it's like this, right? Anterior. Posterior, your anterior pelvic floor myofascially blends into your transverse abdominals. And then your posterior pelvic floor myofascially blends into your glutes. You have a front, you have a back. Yes, you can isolate them, 
but really you want the front and the back to contract at the same time. When you contract the front and the back at the same time, you should feel a lift, okay? Your pelvic floor is an anti-gravity muscle, which means when you engage it, lift, okay? Front, back, together, lift. So here we go. What we're going to do is we're going to start by isolating out the front, then we're going to isolate out the back, and then we're going to bring them together, and then we are going to bring that coordination into that lift. Step one, pelvic floor. Stack your rib cage and your pelvis. Feet are shoulder-width apart. Knees are soft. Perfect. Okay. When you engage your pelvic floor, take your hands, bring them inside your ASIS. Okay, now why they're just inside your ASIS is that every time you engage your pelvic floor, you should feel tension underneath your fingers. Here we go. If you want to shut your eyes for this, you can. It helps you to reflect inward, but your eyes can be open your choice. Okay, so now the front and your pelvic floor, this is going to be called a Kegel. A Kegel is when you engage just the front of your pelvic floor and you essentially stop the flow of pee. Okay, here we go. So we're going to contract the front, engage your anterior, and release, engage the front, and release, keep going, engage the front, and release, keep going. Every time you do it, do you feel tension underneath your fingers? You should, I do every time I engage, okay? And then release. Do you, every time you engage the anterior, do you feel anything to the front of your pelvis? So right around here, do you feel anything? Okay, you should. That is your anterior pelvic floor blending into your TVA. Okay, relax the front. Stay stacked, eyes shut if you want, hands stay in the ASIS. Focus back. So now if you're post your pelvic floor, you are going to imagine stopping your poo, okay? You are essentially engaging and lifting your levator ani. So you're going to stay same position, eyes are shut if you want, and then here we go, engage the posterior, and release. Engage the posterior and release. Keep going. Engage and release. As you do that, do you feel tension underneath your fingers? As you do that, do you feel tension that kind of radiates into your backside here, which is where your glutes are, but it's not your glute max. It's actually your deep sacral fibers of your glutes. Do you feel it kind of radiate or proprioceptively kind of into your glutes? Hopefully you do. So now how do we bring that relationship together? Stay in your position. Eyes can be shut if you would like. I'm going to have you engage your anterior, hold, engage your posterior, hold, release both. Engage the front, engage the back, release both. Front, back, release. Front, back, release. Front, back, release. Okay, keep going, release. Front, back, release. Can you now engage both at the same time? Lift, release, lift, release, lift, release, lift, release. Now, every time that you lift, I want you to start to push your toes down, toes down, release, toes down, release, toes down, release. Keep going, keep going. Every time you lift and push your toes down, I want you to exhale, release, exhale, release. Shh, shh. Okay, do you feel that coordination? I just locked in your pelvic floor local stabilizers with the ground and with gravity. Okay, let's do it on the floor for the sake of time. We gotta go, go, here we go, onto the floor. Now what we're doing is you're going to imagine that the base of your pelvis is like the face of a clock. Your pubic symphysis is 12 o'clock, your tailbone is six. Right ASIS is three, left AS ASIS is nine. So 12, six, three, nine. What you're going to do on my cue is you're going to start to bring your pubic symphysis to your tailbone, like this. Actually, like this, sorry. Here, 12 to 6, okay? And then after you do that, again, on my cue, you're going to draw 3 to 9. So here I'm engaging and I'm sliding two bookends together. 6, 12, 3, 9, okay? So you're going to assume a position just like the picture. Of course, you could do the stand. It's a little bit harder. So if you can, let's just all join together. And we're going to be on our back on the floor with our feet flat and our knees bent. So we're in a position like this. Here we go. Eyes are shut. Stack your rib cage and your pelvis. Bring your hands just inside your ASIS. Your eyes are shut. I want you to start to see the base of your pelvis like a clock. See your pubic symphysis is 12 o'clock. Your tailbone is 6 o'clock. 
right ASIS is nine, left AS, ASIS, whoop, three, three, nine, flip it around. Beautiful. So you have six, 12, three, nine, you have your clock. I want you to start to inhale through your nose, feel your belly rise. As you exhale, start to draw six o'clock to 12 o'clock. Keep your breath moving, keep them drawing together. And then good, release, let it go, inhale through the nose, feel your belly rise. Again, as you exhale, start to draw six to 12, keep exhaling, feel the tension in the base of your pelvis, and then good, release, let it go, inhale, feel your belly rise. We're adding on. When you're ready, start to exhale, six, 12, Keep exhaling, now add in three, nine, two bookends, sliding together, keep exhaling. Beautiful, feel the tension and the good release, let it go, inhale through the nose, feel the belly rise. And then here we go again, start to exhale, six, 12, hold, keep exhaling, three, nine, keep exhaling, feel the tension, beautiful, keep the breath moving the entire time, six, 12, three, nine, feel the tension and release. Inhale through the nose, feel the belly rise. On the next one, I'm gonna cue your toes. When you're ready, one last time. Start to exhale, six, 12, three, nine. Keep your breath moving, please. Keep exhaling slowly the entire time. Feel the tension. As you hold your pelvic floor, six, 12, three, nine. Keep exhaling and push your toes into the floor. Toes are down, six, 12, three, nine. Keep your breath moving, four, three, two, and release. Inhale, feel the belly rise. Awesome, one more, here we go. Yes, again, we're using the toes. One last time, when you're ready, exhale. Six, 12, three, nine, keep exhaling. Push your toes down, keep the six, 12, and the three, nine. It should feel kind of like a lift in the pelvis. Toes are down, beautiful, keep the breath moving. Four, three, two, and release, inhale. Feel the belly rise, and you may sit on up. Great job. So both of those, both ways, I totally snuck it in there. Both methods, I was able to get your feet to connect to your core, which is how we locked it in with ground and gravity. Now, the one that we did on the floor, what that was doing, and I actually would do that one first. So I would do that activation on your back with your feet on the floor and cue the feet while doing the pelvic floor, exhale, six, 12, three, nine, so they can feel that connection. You're essentially priming the foot to core sequencing. And then after you do it on the floor to prime that connection, get them to stand up. And now they're in ground and gravity and then push their toes down and do, you could do the clock standing again, or you could do the anterior posterior, your choice, but now I'm actually in ground and gravity and then boom, that's going to lock it in. Okay. So as we kind of wrap things up, here's a few key, 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 key takeaway. Okay. Is one, you have your anterior pubic joint and the stability of that anterior pubic joint is built around the timing of stabilization, coordination of stabilization. And that coordination of stabilization is local stabilizers, global stabilizers. The local stabilizers, diaphragm, pelvic floor, TVA, psoas. That's the connection that we want to make sure that we are driving that stability around. Now, when we start to lose that stability, you start to get these different um, symptoms or stresses on the body, such as a loss of hip joint centration, adductor stress, adductor spasm, osteitis pubis, a torn hip labrum, coccyx sultans, uh, uh, athletic pubelgus, all of these things start to present themselves and start to talk. So as tendonitis, right? All these things start to talk, but they have a very common denominator, in certain people, different tissue is going to be stressed, but the cause was the same. So for me, I might get athletic pubelgia. Someone else just tore their hip labrum. Someone else has an adductor spasm, but the exact same thing that's happening in all of us is that we're not stabilizing our local muscles fast enough, most likely because a global muscle is dominating and getting in the way. Your job as the trainer and the coach is to restore the coordination, of the muscle stabilization, because that's your job, right? Your job is movement and corrective exercise. And that's exactly what you can do with these clients.
I hope that this brought some answers to maybe some questions that you had. I hope that you can apply these concepts. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. This is, it's one hour tease into these topics. So please, please explore this topic more on how you can help your clients. I encourage you to check out my website, which is ebfaglobal.com. And then you, of course, can follow me on any of the social platforms. You can see my handles that are online. Those are for Instagram. And then I hope to see you at any future workshop through NASM and have an amazing day and I really hope you enjoy it.